African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us for another program of African Dialogue. You're listening to Channel Africa, uh, the gateway uh, to the African perspective. Thank you for joining us. Um, my name is Benjamin Mushatama. You'll be with me until midday. And just a reminder, we'll have our business news at 11.45 Central African time and our sports thereafter. Thank you for joining us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa, DSTV on channel 802. On the audio bouquet, you can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today on our program, we're going to be looking at uh, the EU Migrant Summit, which will be starting tomorrow until Friday, which is looking at uh, really coming up with uh, a way forward when it comes to migration policy in Europe and how to deal with the influx of migrants coming from North Africa into uh, uh, the continent of Europe. Uh, We'll deal with that after our news update and Musa is standing by. In the headlines, Zimbabwe's president, Emerson Mnangagwa, believes a political faction that supported Grace Mugabe tried to assassinate him. The trial involving one of the DRC's main opposition leaders, Moise Katumbi, accused of recruiting mercenaries, gets underway this morning. And Nigerian cattle herders deny killing scores of farmers in Plato State. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Zimbabwe's President Emerson Mnangagwa has told the BBC that he suspects the group which supported the firm, the former First Lady Grace Mugabe was behind the recent attempt on his life. He stressed that he had no evidence yet and was waiting for the police to arrest and question suspects. The BBC's Virgil Keane has more. This was President Manangagwa's first interview with the foreign media since the attempt on his life. He told me he expected police to make arrests soon. While he didn't accuse Mrs Mugabe of involvement, he described her as someone who had insulted him left, right and centre in the past. Asked if he trusted her, the President replied, On what basis would I trust someone who was used by a cabal to say things that had no basis? The President said Zimbabwe was stable and foreign investors shouldn't worry. There wouldn't be a countrywide security clampdown and the elections next month would go ahead in a free and fair manner. 
The trial involving one of the Democratic Republic of Congo's main opposition leaders, Moise Katumbi, opens this morning. Katumbi and six others, including an American national, are to go on trial before the Supreme Court of Justice. They face charges of attempting to destabilize the DRC. Katumbi is accused of recruiting mercenaries in 2015. The businessman and former governor of southern Katanga province is being tried in absentia. He has been living in self-imposed exile in Belgium. On Monday, a group of 50 parliamentarians wrote an open letter to President Joseph Kabila asking him to put a stop to what they described as the judicial harassment of Katumbi. Cattle herders have denied carrying out attacks that kill scores of people in farming communities in central Nigeria. The Mieti Allah Cattle Breeders Association of Nigeria says reports that it had admitted to involvement in clashes in Plato State were false. It says Barom and Irigwe militia had repeatedly attacked Fulani herders and their settlements in recent months, but they had not retaliated. Officials have said 86 people were killed in an apparent reprisal attack on six villages, but local groups say at least 100 people lost their lives. Libya's National Human Rights Commission has rejected the European Union's attempt to set up immigration camps in Libya. The EU plans to set up camps and international protection centers for migrants in transit countries such as Libya to asylum seekers' applications and provide legal assistance to the migrants and asylum seekers. The Libyan Rights Commission says the reasons for its rejection are humanitarian, legal, security and national, including the state of armed conflict and escalation of human rights violations in Libya. It says immigration must be addressed in accordance with the international rules and regulation. And finally, U.S. President Donald Trump has celebrated the Supreme Court's decision to back one of his key initiatives, a travel ban targeting five Muslim-majority countries. The ban prohibits most people from Iran, Libya, Somalia, Syria and Yemen from entering the U.S. Speaking at the White House, he said that in an era of worldwide terrorism, they have to take a tough stance. This is a great victory for our Constitution. We have to be tough and we have to be safe and we have to be secure. We have to make sure that we vet people coming into the country. We know who's coming in. We know where they're coming from. We just have to know who's coming here. The ruling shows that all of the attacks from the media and the Democrat politicians are wrong and they turned out to be very wrong. Recapping the top stories, Zimbabwe's President Emerson Mnangagwa believes a political faction that supported Grace Mugabe tried to assassinate him. The trial involving one of the DRC's main opposition leaders, Moise Katumbi, accused of recruiting mercenaries, gets underway this morning. And Nigerian cattle herders deny killing scores of farmers in Plato State. South Africans must learn to live together. Yes, we can. And resolve our differences peacefully. Yes, we can. Alternatively, the future is very dark. Africa's future is up to Africans. I say this knowing full well the tragic past that has sometimes haunted this part of the world. After all, I have the blood of Africa within me. Join Channel Africa on the 17th of July, 2018 as we bring you live coverage 
of the 16th Nelson Mandela Annual Lecture, delivered by the former U.S. President Barack Obama. Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, where you get the African perspective. Definitely, that's what we're all about, really trying to give you views from uh, an African context. Well, today we're looking at a very international story, but that relates to the African continent, looking at uh, the European Union Migrant Summit, which will take place uh, from tomorrow and ending on Friday, uh, due to the fact that uh, it seems uh, that uh, for Europe, uh, the influx of migrants into their continent is becoming more and more of a policy concern. According to the latest international migrant report by the United Nations, there are an estimated 258 million people living in a country uh, other than their country of birth, an increase of 49% since 2000. Uh, So really the issue of migration is becoming more and more and more of a contemporary reality. The report also further states that in 2000, 2017 high come in countries hosted 64% of the total number of international migrants worldwide. And then later this week, European Union leaders are expected to meet over uh, uh, migration issues and ways to further tighten the external borders, give more support to Libya, and possibly look at creating a disembarkation uh, center outside of their territory for people who arrive by sea. So it is a big conversation. We're asking the question on our social media. Uh, Do you think that the African migrant is becoming more of a nuisance for uh, Europe? What are your thoughts around that question? Our Twitter handle is uh, at Channel Africa 1. It's at Channel Africa 1. You can give us your thoughts there or at African uh, Dialogue where we also will love to hear your thoughts. So another way that you can give us your thoughts is via our WhatsApp number on plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven. Let me say that WhatsApp number again plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven uh, well uh, let's uh, start the discussion with our guest in our studio let me try see if i can see a little bit here but she's right here in our studio that's mianka uh, statler who is uh, the media and digital content officer at amnesty international south africa we'll also be joined by luca lamorte who is uh, the social media officer in the media and communications division at the International Organization uh, for Migration on the line. Also, we are being joined on the line from the United Nations Refugee Agency by Charlie uh, Yaxley, who is the Media Communications Officer at uh, the agency itself. But let me start in our studio with you, Mienke, in terms of what we can expect as an agenda at this European Union Summit. Uh, do you see things moving forward in terms of uh, some of the new introductions that we seeing what's all interesting very much with the conversation that will be taking part this time around are those disembarkation centers. That's a very interesting development. Yes, that is an interesting development. And as Amnesty International, our biggest concern is, of course, the human rights aspect of this. Are people's human rights going to be respected if these detention centers do go go forward? Uh, an example is one of the countries that has come up is Libya. We do, unfortunately, have a big problem with Libya. We yeah. feel that human rights will not be respected there. We are already seeing people being, um, the Libyan authorities taking people out of the ocean back to Libya. And the situation that people have found themselves in 
there has been absolutely awful. So what we're hoping to see from the summit is that human rights are put at the forefront, but we also want to see very strong leadership. So the biggest fear also is that the summit will happen and there won't be consensus about mm. how to move forward. And we also know that there are obviously some countries in the EU who are um, uh, against um, the, the Dublin resolution. That means that you can seek asylum in a country where you first uh, come to. And um, we've already seen other countries also, for example, recently a boat not being allowed to dock um, mm. in Italy and so, so yeah. forth. So we're really hoping that strong leadership will come through that, that there will be some consensus and, uh, and that there will be points and action points on how to move forward. And if a decision is made about mm. these detention centers, that human rights really is put uh, uh, at the top of the list. Let me go to Luca Lamorte on the line and uh, think of your views in terms of this agenda that is being put forward. Already we're hearing the proposal of this asylum seeker processing center in uh, northern Africa being one of uh, the uh, priorities in terms of uh, what is going to be discussed at this particular gathering. Uh, Do you think this is a good starting point in terms of migration and asylum policy, Luca? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me today. Um, both IUM and uh, UNHCR will uh, will present a plan for um, um, to managing these centers at the EU summit. Plans are still discussed between the two agencies, so there is not much I can uh, I can uh, communicate at the sure. moment. But um, let me be very clear: our Director General, first of all, um, has always made the tenant of his policy to have uh, live, the lives of the, of, the, of, the, of the migrants at the center as, and as the concerns, main concerns of the organization. And um, um, one of his more uh, interesting results has been, for the time being, to put uh, different parties on the table to discuss what is called uh, today a political emergency because we keep saying uh, that there is a, no migration emergency at the moment. The numbers this year... Uh, of arrivals, for instance, are pretty modest if compared to sure. 2015. Um, but the main priority for organization is first to save lives and to protect the basic rights of the migrants. And of course, at all levels of discussions, to have the all partners involved. So just not the African, so not just the European Union and what they will discuss at the summit, but also to have fully on the table the African Union and our African partners uh, to agree on what will be um, uh, discussed and uh, and produced by by the summit uh, this week. Look at what's your thoughts around what was highlighted by Mienke in our in our studio here. The fact that we are seeing a resistance coming from uh, some European countries, and the fact that the Libyan situation is not actually changing due to uh, the, the the political stalemate that we're seeing currently in that country, and 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 the dire influx that we still continue to see in that particular country. Uh, that seems to be a big talking point. It is. But at the same time, I would I would go uh, on to say that the biggest issue, at least from our side, uh, is the human trafficking. It was just uh, uh, and the money that smugglers make out of the 
abuse and exploitation of the migrants. There was just a few days ago a new study published by UNODC, the Office uh, of uh, Drugs in Vienna, and they highlighted that in 2016 uh, the, the total value of the human smuggling business in Western Eastern Africa was $7 billion. So in our, from our perspective, of course, we understand the political situation in Libya, and we are actually in the country, within the country, trying to do our best to help migrants uh, return safely to their homes. With, uh, with, we have a very large project in place with uh, AVRR, uh, Assisted Voluntary Return and Reintegration. But at the same time, we understand that the problem uh, originates before migrants enter in Libya, and the problems do start with uh, human smuggling. So that's also one of our concerns, and I, and I hope we all agree on that. Mm. Charlie, let me bring you in. What are your thoughts with where we are with the discussion? Well, I think the context here is uh, really very important. I mean, so far this year in 2018, around 43,000 people have attempted to cross the Mediterranean. Uh, and, and to give that its perspective, that's six times less compared to the same period in 2016, uh, and really quite far from the peak that we saw uh, in 2015 when more than a million people um, arrived in Europe. But at the same time, asylum applications uh, in the European Union have also sharply decreased. Um, but last week we hit a, a dire milestone where for the fifth year in a row, more than 1,000 people have died or uh, are missing at sea. Um, so this is a situation that does need action. It's a, it's a manageable situation because the numbers are down compared to um, previous years. So really, this is a question of political will. And there is now a need for a new, united and collaborative approach from European states um, rooted in shared principles of solidarity, compassion and respect for human rights. Um, that brings together uh, an agreement that has a fair and equitable distribution for receiving refugees and migrants in the continent, um, and also that has at its core an absolute priority of saving lives at sea. Um, what we cannot have is a situation like we've seen in the last 10 days mm. where boats are located in the central Mediterranean with nowhere to dock. Um, you know, when lives are at stake, you know, the, the a political solution urgently needs to be found uh, to ensure that the principle of rescue at sea is not lost. Well, we'll speak about that after our break because that's the big question, isn't it? Protecting the human rights of migrants and asylum seekers versus uh, uh, the country's uh, own uh, protectionist uh, uh, policy that sometimes is being approached because the direction that I'm seeing people are talking about is tightening external borders, even this issue of uh, these uh, uh, disembarkation centers or these asylum seeker processing centers in northern Africa really bring a lot of questions around the whys that that is the approach that's been taken. Uh, Shouldn't we be talking about a different way of dealing with the issue of migration since it's already a real reality, especially for Europe and also Northern Africa. We'll deal with those questions after this break. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. 
Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubung, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Thank you for giving us your time right here. Remember, we're running until midday. Thereafter, we'll have Africa Midday where they'll give you the latest news on what's happening on the African continent. Right now, we're discussing the European Union Migration Summit, which is going to be taking place tomorrow and lasting until Friday. The big issues is really around controlling borders. How do you actually now also really control the inflow of uh, uh, asylum seekers into Europe. Uh, The big uh, uh, positive uh, is the fact that, yes, as was highlighted by our guests, we're seeing fewer arrivals uh, of migrants into Europe, but it's still a big issue, as was highlighted by one of our guests. I think it was Charlie Yaxley, who's joining us from the United Nations Refugee Agency, highlighting just in the last week, 1,000 were missing at sea. That's a large number that he highlighted there. But Minka, I want to come here in terms of the direction of policy that Europe should start adopting. Is it really going to be based on the protection of borders or is it going to be around creating these uh, asylum seeker centers or should just Europe open itself up and find another way of integrating asylum seekers and accepting that this is the new reality of, conte- of, of contemporary globalization? As I understand that third option is what we are hoping for. Uh, I suppose in reality, that's probably not what, gonna, what we're going to see because we've seen some leaked ideas of, of course, this, uh, these detention centres, but also uh, the strengthening of borders and so forth. And what we actually are calling for is shared responsibility. I mean, the EU is actually built on those principles of human rights, of shared responsibility and so forth, you know, after the, se- after the Second World War. And um, so we actually find it very, uh, the, the logic of passing responsibility for receiving asylum seekers and refugees to neighboring countries that are either inside or even outside of Europe, as we've spoken about Libya, and it's not only Libya, other countries in North Africa, really is uh, irresponsible as far as Amnesty International is concerned. And we also think dangerous. And uh, we just think that this problem, the crisis will just be uh, exacerbated. And of course, yes, there are less um, arriving, which is a good thing, but uh, we we think um, even globally the attitude to to migrants, to asylum seekers, to refugees mm. is is not a good one. Um, mm. we've Especially seen when we United see the, the Donald see Trump factor. Exactly, yeah. and yeah. even here in South Africa, we uh, as Amnesty International South Africa, we are doing research on the refugee reception offices, and uh, and and we have a dialogue next week coming up because it's an issue here as well. And there's mm. even talk of uh, creating similar kind of detention centres or processing centres on our northern border and at Messina. So uh, we really want 
to nip that in the bud and say that the EU can be can show leadership worldwide as to, like you say, accept this as a reality, as something that is not going to change overnight, and to share the responsibility and to come up with a solution where it's shared responsibility and not a closing of borders and not uh, a, a passing responsibility, passing the buck over to other countries. Mm. Let me come to you, uh, Charlie, in terms of your thoughts uh, from a United Nations Refugee Agency perspective in what we're talking about here because as was emphasized by Minka, the fact that internationally we're starting to see protectionist policy when it comes to border control where countries are starting more and more to look at tightening their borders instead of actually seeing uh, migration as a real reality in uh, modern society and it's really that versus that those two things are waging against each other currently in the current political space. Well, last week, UNHCR released our annual Global Trends Report, which gives a picture um, of the situation for refugees and internally displaced people across the world, and and it had some really important points there. Um, First of all, we're currently seeing unprecedented levels of global forced displacement. The number of people who have been forced to flee their home due to persecution, conflict or violence uh, is the highest it's been uh, since the Second World War, since since UNHCR started keeping records on this. But then it's important to go from there and look at the distribution of uh, where a refugee is being hosted, who is taking on most of the responsibility for taking care of refugees. Mm. And when you look at that, you see it's actually 85% of the world's refugees are hosted in developing countries. With, uh, despite scarce resources and limited capacities, many of those countries have been hosting refugees for years, if not decades. Uh, so when we take that into consideration, we see clearly that there is a need for countries in the global north, uh, and particularly Europe, uh, to show solidarity uh, with the global south in hosting refugees. Um, last year at the New York General Assembly, states came together and agreed a deal to develop what's been uh, called the Global Compact on Refugees. And what this does is it acknowledges that there is a need to not only increase support for refugees, but also the communities that host them. Only that way, when you have those things going hand in hand, not only the humanitarian approach, but the development approach as well, together as two sides of the same coin, that's when you see more effective integration. That's when you see refugees being more interwoven into the fabric of their new societies. And you see a diminishing of the kind of xenophobic attitudes that have seen some countries seek to put up borders or restrict the asylum space. Uh, Luca, let me bring that into your space in terms of uh, that issue of integration versus uh, a border control. Um, do you see the two interlinked or do you think they should be separate approaches uh, that are dealt with separately? Because people like Donald Trump have this alarmist approach when it comes to uh, their view of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Migration. Uh, they think it's a security threat. So countries such as the U.S. start seeing migrants as um, a security no-no. And uh, that's increasingly becoming a mantra uh, from a big voice such as Donald Trump. And we're starting to see other countries, even in Europe, starting to resound the same sentiment. Maybe not in such a loud voice, but the nuances are there. Yes, at the same time, 
as I said before, we are, and as my colleague from UNHCR uh, mentioned, we are far from the crisis, so-called crisis, that occurred in 2015. The numbers are pretty modest. So I would tend to agree that we don't live in a in a crisis time at, at the moment, but we are more um, faced with political challenges. Mm. So we also hope that this uh, summit will uh, will end with um, a shared proposal uh, that will ensure also solidarity among member states uh, and that will also ensure that each state will respect the provisions of the treaties. Uh, let me also add, um, because migration seems to be, uh, at least from our side, one of the most toxic topics at the moment, there is, a, there is a, at least in Europe, uh, we see a lot of misunderstandings uh, and also historical amnesias. Mm. Uh, if you recall, IOM, uh, uh, for maybe those who don't know, was founded in 1951, sorry, 1950, yes, 1951, and the, the, the main aim back then was to solve a massive uh, refugee crisis of Hungarian citizens. Uh, that had to be re- um, uh, literally uh, moved from one part of Europe to the other one. Um, sure. So we 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 would like to we would like Europeans to understand that uh, yes, uh, there is there are migrants coming, but there are shared values of solidarity that Europeans should not forget, and also to also to describe uh, all migrants as toxic or um, other objectives that I experience every day in my in my my routine. I have to answer to many comments of uh, people who are highly misinformed. So uh, migrants are only three percent of the uh, world's population, but they do produce almost ten percent of the world's GDP. So to only uh, mention migrants and deal with the concept of migration from uh, from uh, with such a tiny uh, understanding of such a complex topic is also uh, is also risky and that's probably the main issue in Europe at the moment there is also lack of uh, proper information about what the current numbers are and there is a misperception mm. of what the real numbers are okay as much as we like talking about integration and uh, the idea of um, finding a way of uh, incorporating migrants into uh, the social fabric of the countries they move into. There are those that uh, actually question that effort, speaking about the issue of prioritization when it comes to social equity within that environment, issues of unemployment, and that issue has been highly politicized. So that's almost the big argument, counter-argument against what you're highlighting, Minka, as a solution. Yeah, so um, I, I've actually just written a few notes here because I agree so much with uh, uh, Luca's um, idea about um, collective amnesia in a way as well, mm. that people have forgotten what's gone before. And uh, even in the U.S., people have forgotten what the U.S. is built on as well, you know, the American dream, so to speak. Uh, and, yeah, using um, using uh, migrants, asylum seekers, refugees as a political tool, as political in political game playing, in uh, trying to gain political points. And so, and that's very sad to see from a human rights point of view. And also, again, yes, the lack of information. So in a previous role that I was in, 
research was done on the economic uh, contribution of migrants in South Africa, uh, of, you know, and so people forget that, yes, migrants actually do contribute to worldwide GDP, to GDP within countries as well, mm-hmm. and uh, to really up that information, and that could be something that could be highlighted at the summit as well, because I think if people are more in, in, informed about uh, what, you know, migrants are um, uh, uh, about, really, then um, their attitudes would change, and uh, greater solidarity and solutions would be found as well, and again, respect for those solutions and uh, that are come up with as well. And how do you counter-argue some of the points that are brought forward to you in terms of things that people have brought forward as what they feel why integration doesn't work? Yeah, so um, we think that political will is important to bring about leadership uh, to bring about integration. So even comments made by leaders is very important because people actually l- listen to that and do hear it. And uh, I work in the South African context and we do see when leaders make comments that are xenophobic that it has a huge impact mm-hmm. on how uh, your layman as such actually uh, looks at mm-hmm. uh, refugees and asylum seekers. And if that can change, then we believe as an organization you would also see uh, a big change in how people integrate and how people view people who come from outside and yes this isolationism that's spreading across the world in Europe we work very strongly currently in Hungary because there's so much anti-civil society uh, movement going on there Um, uh, and even in Turkey where journalists are being imprisoned Um, one of our owners actually has been in prison there for more than a year our chairperson for our Turkey office And, uh, and, and you see that these are leaders, these are specific leaders who are making these comments and we would counter and say that if we could change that narrative and if that narrative could change integration the impact on the world would be so much greater and there would be better integration mm. and better understanding you know there's that that age-old saying and the saying that people have said always no one puts their child in a boat mm. unless the water is safer than the land and when people can really understand that no one wants no one goes mm. no one migrates or is an asylum seeker or refugee because they're seeking adventure they are forced to do so and if we can get leaders and political will behind that we believe that integration would be much better. Well, I'll bring those questions back to our other guests. Uh, you are listening to African Dialogue right here on Channel Africa. We're just about to round up uh, this discussion after our break. Uh, we're discussing the EU uh, Migration Summit. We know that migration is not just a European problem, but it was also uh, an issue that uh, is very also relatable in uh, the African continent. But we'll wrap it up. If you're just joining us, we have Minka Seth who is uh, the Media and Digital Content Officer at Amnesty International South Africa. On the line, we're also joined by Luca Lamorte, who is the Social Media Officer in the Media and Communications Division at the International Organization for Migration. Also joining us for this uh, panel discussion is uh, Charlie Yaxley, who is the Media and Communications Officer at the United Nations Refugee Agency. It's 35 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. We're going to wrap it up after this south africans must learn to live together yes we can and resolve our differences peacefully yes we can alternatively the future is very dark africa's future is up to africans i say this knowing full well the tragic past that has sometimes haunted this part of the world after all i have the blood of africa within me Join Channel Africa on the 17th of July 2018 
as we bring you live coverage of the 16th Nelson Mandela Annual Lecture delivered by the former U.S. President Barack Obama. Channel Africa, the African Perspective. Well, thank you for joining us. As we're about to wrap up today's discussion on international migration, we know Europe tomorrow is going to be having a very, very important policy discussion around uh, the migration issue in um, um Europe and uh, it has been a long going discussion indeed and we've seen figures such as Angela Merkel who, who has actually been the champion uh, for the uh, migration efforts almost on the side of civil society but we've also seen a pushback from other uh, countries such as even countries such as Britain who have actually been very very uh, reserved around how issues should be dealt with in terms of uh, the migration some the migration issue rather but let me come back to our guests on the line luca let me start with you as we're about to wrap it up if we're going to have an amicable solution moving forward i know that you've touched on certain points that are pro asylum seekers and, and migrants uh, but from from your perspective especially looking at these asylum seeker processing centers or some people are calling them disembarkation centers which brings a lot of questions around what that actually means. How do we make sure that that process actually has a transparent process and is one that is actually going to also be in line with uh, international law when it comes to the plight of uh, the asylum seeker? Well, we'll be there to ensure that happens. Uh, as I said before, saving life will be our first and only priority and also, time will be um, very relevant. We want to ensure, ensure that uh, if there are children or pregnant women or medical cases, that they will receive immediate care and safety, uh, both before disembarkation and, and afterwards. Um, so on, on our side, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll do our best to ensure um, that the basic human rights and the dignity and the fundamental rights of these people are ensured and protected. Charlie, from your perspective, especially coming to the security issue, it is still a reality for some countries. How should they approach that in a way that is uh, amicable? Well, of course, countries have a right to protect their, their borders, but that has to be done in a way that uh, retains respect for international human rights laws and, and obligations. Um, seeking asylum is a fundamental human right, uh, and everybody should be allowed to exercise that. Those found to be in need of refugee protection, uh, it's important they're provided with that. But even those who apply for asylum and have their claim denied, uh, it's important that they too have their have their rights under international law upheld if they're to be deported that must be done so in a safe and dignified manner but ultimately i think really the key here is that we have to remember you know behind all these numbers that we keep talking about uh, uh, each one is an individual there are men women and children who are mothers fathers sons daughters and so on uh, who each have you know, incredibly traumatic tra traumas and stories that ha have motivated them to take uh, what are really quite desperate journeys. 
Um, so really from this summit, the, the EU has an opportunity here. It has an opportunity to come together and set a policy that helps shape how refugee situations are managed globally and demonstrate how solidarity and shared responsibility can pay dividends all round. And, and we really need humanity and compassion to win the day. I see you scribbling stuff there, uh, Minka. You, what are your final sentiments? So Luca and uh, Charlie have really summed it up, but uh, just to bring it all together, yes, to us, it's putting human rights to the forefront, looking at the existing legal frameworks around that. Also looking at, I can't remember if it was Luca or Charlie that mentioned it, but yes, uh, 85% of, I think it was Charlie, of uh, refugees or, or asylum seekers are housed in countries that are developing countries, and some of these countries are actually doing well, some mm. less well. And look at what are these countries doing, what's working, what's not working. And like Charlie just said, uh, the EU is, can set an example here. This is an opportunity to set an example to countries like our own, like South Africa, and also uh, talk about these people as not as one huge homogenous group of people, but mm. yeah. each one we have a campaign called My Name is Not Refugee. They're not, that's not their names. Each one has a name. Each one has a story. Each one has a reason why they've come where they've come mm. and the journey that they've been on. And to always, always remember that and keep that at the forefront of one's mind. So, yeah, we call on the EU, st EU states to really keep all of these things in mind and, uh, and set an example for the world. Definitely. We'll be looking out uh, for that uh, summit, which will be starting tomorrow and ending on Friday. Uh, it should be one that is going to actually set the pace on how we actually uh, cement um, migration policy in terms of implementation specifically. But thank you to our guests. Thank you to Minka Statler for coming to our studios. She's the uh, Media and Digital Content Officer at Amnesty International South Africa. And uh, we also had uh, on our lines Luca Lamorte, uh, who is a Social Media Officer in the Media and Communications Division at the International Organization for Migration. Luca, where are we calling you from? Where are you speaking to us? I, I wasn't even told where you, where, where you located. I'm in Geneva. Geneva, who is joining us. Fantastic. Joining us from Geneva, Charlie Yaxley as well, joining us from the United Nations Refugee Agency, also a communications officer. Uh, Charlie, are you also in Geneva? Yes, that's right. I'm here in our headquarters oh, in Geneva. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, gents, for giving us your time. Thank you uh, to the lady of the panel, Minka, for giving us her perspective as well on this very big international issue. That takes Thank us you, everyone. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome, guys. Uh, that takes us to 11.45. Two, and uh, it's almost time for our business news, but we'll have some music. And this one is a very once popular song last year, I think, it was in its highest peak. This is Agana Mali by Something Soweto. And then after that, we'll have our business news, and thereafter, we'll have our sports. <laughs> Tell me, 
Good morning with your economics news. I'm Wisani Matebula. VW Group is launching a car assembly facility in Rwanda, the first such factory in the East African nation as Europe's biggest car maker expands its presence in the region. Car ownership remains low in the nation of 12 million people with just over 200,000 private cars registered since 1997, according to the country's tax collection body. Tabi Soluhuk reports. Volkswagen, which already builds vehicles in nearby Kenya, hopes not just to sell vehicles, but for them to also be used in an Uber-like car-sharing system, where people will use their smartphones to book lifts. The German car maker said in January that it initially plans to build up to 5,000 cars per year, beginning with the Polo and Passat models. The vice-governor of Rwanda's central bank, Monique Nzanza Baganwa, welcomed the move as an example of much-needed investment in the nation, which receives over 1 billion U.S. dollars in foreign aid and development assistance, but has made business-friendly reforms in recent years. Tabi Solohoko for Channel Africa. 
The Economic Association of Namibia Research Associate Klaus Scheider says that global economic activities may inhibit growth expectations for the domestic economy for the rest of 2018. In an analysis, he said global economic activities affecting the domestic economy are factors such as uh, the trade war started by U.S., which then resulted in retaliatory measures by China, the European Union and India in the quarterly oil prices, which have uh, reached the highest levels since the fourth quarter of 2014. Schauder said both events may result in a drop in demand, production and eventually commodity prices that are going to affect Namibia in the end. Egypt has announced the end of its local wheat harvest on Wednesday. Around 3.5 million tons of wheat from local farmers. Egypt is the world's largest importer of wheat and had said previously that it was looking to to purchase 3.5 to 4 million tons of local wheat. Kenya Revenue Authority has linked the county government's payment system to its own automated tax platform, ITEX, to speed up their tax dispute resolution. KRA Deputy Commissioner Rispa Simuyu says linking county government's integrated financial management systems to the ITEX platform would automate remittance of suppliers withheld taxes. Counties are tax withholding agents, but lack of this uh, linkage had left the uh, contractors and the taxmen at war as counties delay in wiring 6% of taxes owed by their business partners. Financial indicators now the dollar at 10.14, Botswana Pula 9.6, uh, Zambian Kwacha, BRICS currencies, uh, the US dollar trading at uh, 3.77 Brazilian Real, 62.93 Russian Ruble, 68.13 Indian Rupee, and 6.56 Chinese Yuan, and a 13.53 against the South African Rand. It's also trading at 75 pence to the British pound and 85 cents against the euro. Commodities gold $1,205.5, platinum $861 per fine ounce, Brent crude oil is at $76.55 per barrel. And that's your economics news. And our sports update this hour, Figile Lungwati with football news. A relieved Lionel Messi says he didn't expect to suffer so much against Nigeria, but that he and his Argentina teammates were always confident about winning the crucial World Cup clash that secured them a place in the last 16. The Barcelona forward opened the scoring with a fine goal in a dramatic 2-1 win over Nigeria that sent the South Americans through to the knockout stages behind Croatia in Group D. Messi, who turned 31 this week, said Nigeria's 2-0 win over Iceland on Friday had been a boon for his side. Nigeria's coach, Gennad Draw, says he was proud of his side and he believed they will be a stronger team in four years' time. I'm proud of my players because they played well in the second half. Good football, like we can do. Uh, we are missing a little bit of experience. We have a young team. And uh, I think this kind of matches are building the character of the team. And uh, 
Raw hails Argentine team that he is picked with a uh, lot of experienced players. Uh, yes, we could score a second goal, we did not. And uh, in the end, Argentina was pushing, pushing, pushing. When you have so good players like they have, they are playing in the biggest clubs of the world, a lot of them. Uh, this is uh, Champions League level. We are not ready for, for that now. We are playing uh, like a team, like a young team, with one or two experienced players. But we are not able yet to go until the end of, of this match today. But you know, uh, it's, all, it's also a little bit luck. Huh? We didn't have it today. And in local news, new South African premiership side, Bloemfontein Celtic coach Steve Compella says that he first needs to see what he's working with before he can even think of going into the market and buying new players. Compella remains tight-lipped on any new possible signings. Do justice to the players available in the club. I wouldn't just come here and start saying, no, this one, that one. Yes, we, we played against Bloemfontein Celtics in seasons. I know most of the players who are here, if not all of them. But knowing a player from afar and working with them is different. So it would only be fair of me to say, okay, gentlemen, I'm here. I'm taking through orientation. Have a look at the stock available. Then take it from there. I think it is only proper for me to do that. Cricket news Protea spinner Keshav Maharaj is eager to make a significant impact in white ball cricket. The Dolphins bowler is in the Protea squad, which will face Sri Lanka next month in a five-match one-day international, the ODI series. The series will commence on the 29th of next month at Rangiri Dambulla International Stadium and end on the 12th of August. The two nations will first battle it out in a two-match test series, with the first game to be played on the 12th of July. The selectors rested the incumbent spinner Imran Tahir and opted for Maharaj and Tabriz Shamsi in the ODI setup. The series in Sri Lanka is considered part of the preparations for the World Cup in England and Wales next year. And for the second year running, the Rwanda national cycling team, Team Rwanda Cycling, will return to the Colorado Classic Race in the United States. The UCI race is slated for the 16th to the 19th of August. Same as last year, during the inaugural edition, Team Rwanda will be the only African and sole national team at the four-day bicycle racing event that is expected to attract a total of 15 teams. According to the organizers, the 15-team lineup includes four UCI World Tour teams, five UCI Professional Continental squads, five UCI Continental teams, and features the comeback of Team Rwanda as the only African and national team. This year's edition will be held just three days after the conclusion of the 2018 Tour du Rwanda. That's your Spot News this hour. Channel Africa brings you wall-to-wall coverage of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Finals in Russia. Visit our dedicated World Cup page on www.channelafrica.org.za for in-depth coverage which includes previews, reviews, analysis, breaking news and a podcast of latest interviews. We will also bring you the very latest news from Russia with our Nigerian correspondent Tony Ubani and the BBC's reporters in our daily hourly sports bulletins and on the Africa at Play sports show on Friday, Saturday and Sunday from 5pm to 6pm Central African time. Channel Africa, your home of the 2018 FIFA World Cup Finals.
Well, that's how we're going to wrap it up. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back with you tomorrow. For me, Benjamin Mushatam. Until next time, God bless.